they were warned everything was about to change. As Jesus left the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what awesome stones and buildings. Jesus responded, Do you see these enormous buildings? Not even one stone will be left upon another. All will be demolished. And it was. The Romans leveled Jerusalem in the year 70. Here's a picture when I was in Jerusalem. This is a picture of one of the, the catapult rocks that was used to break in the walls of the temple. It was, it was, it's buried now under two stories of rubble, but that was one of the ones that hit the wall and, and helped to the Romans destroy the temple. There was nothing, nothing left. For centuries, that temple had been the absolute center of Jewish and Jew Jewish Christian worship. And then it was gone. Today we're beginning our, our, our October, uh, the first of our October series on the ever-changing church. And over the centuries, so much has changed. And yet some things, maybe even the most important things, those remain. And so today we are going back to the years after the temple was destroyed, but before Christianity had become the official religion of the Roman Empire. And yes, this is the same Roman Empire that destroyed Jerusalem. Same empire. Yes. Now, the first thing was there were no church buildings. Church buildings do not come in until hundreds of years later. Church was a community, not a place. And it was definitely, you didn't go to church because that wouldn't have made any sense. You went to worship, but you were church. You embodied church. And so what you, what you had throughout the world at that point is you have this mishmash of Christian communities extending from, what, um, from India all the way out to Spain. And as far north as the British Isles to as far south as Ethiopia. And pretty much everyone, what they would do is all these little communities, they would come together into people's homes. And they would gather together, and they'd get on couches, and they would actually lie down on couches if you were more of a, Roman, a traditional Roman family. And what they would discuss is how they could make the world a better place. What could they do to make a difference? And they would encourage each other along the way with praying for one another and caring for one another. And then there was no central religious authority in those days that was telling people what to do or what they needed to believe. In fact, at the time, no one even knew how widespread these church communities were. You probably only knew the church communities that were in your area. Nobody knew how wide and how vast the, the, all of these church communities had become. And some of the communities, they worshipped on Sundays, but that was later. Most of them worshipped like Jews because they would worship on Friday night to Saturday. And so that was, that was normal. It doesn't become Sunday unified as Sunday until hundreds of years after the church. And there was no Bible as we have it either. The Bible, Bible actually in our context, it doesn't, it doesn't get canonized until after the Middle Ages. That was, that was a, that, most people don't know that. 
But they did have these gospels, these written accounts of Jesus' life, and they had letters. And we've kept some of those letters and some of those written gospels, and we, we put them into what is our Bible today. But letters were the way that, that churches in an area stayed connected to one another. So a group of people like this might come together and they would come together for dinner and they would sit around and they would sing. We know that they sang and they prayed. And a person who knew how to read would share something of Jesus's life or would share a letter like this one. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider, him, consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, might bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Ken just read, that was a hymn. It was included in the letter so that when they reached that part in the letter, the people who heard that heard that would know the song that was associated with it. We have no idea what that song. They did, written music wasn't a thing yet. So we have no idea what it sounded like when they sang. It probably sounded kind of, I don't know, Israeli. We, we just don't know. But what we do know is that people would sing their faith. And that's what that was. That was an early hymn. Soldiers, farmers, merchants, slaves of every ethnicity, men and women. And last week, I showed you this ancient picture last week of Priscilla. She was an early Christian bishop, and she was leading prayer with her head, hands outstretched during these years. Women were bishops before they were kind of gradually run out of office. We guess that Christians were about, at their height, were probably about 10% of the Roman Empire. They were tiny and small, but they were well known. And what Christians were known for is they were the people who would be willing to help out with healing during plagues. We know that in famines, that Christians were the people that would organize to come in to help out after, during the middle of an epidemic or during, during a famine. While everybody else was leaving and going out to the countryside, Christians would mobilize to come help the people in the cities. And there certainly were other religions at the time too. The big one, of course, is the, was the imperial religion, Zeus. The Roman Empire, uh, Zeus was at the, the emperor was worshipped and at the center of all of this. And there was the, the Mithras religion that had a savior who was born on December 25th to a virgin and was later resurrected. Do you know that story? Anyway, all these little Christian communities all over the place got along without a central authority. And they believed a lot of different things about God. And some of them ripped off Christmas. They said, you know, that, that I like that, so they, they would take that in. But 
the teachings of Jesus and the values, those were common. Those were shared. Communion, the, the practice of sharing the, of bread and cup with one another and remembering Jesus, that was common. And baptism, the process of a person becoming a follower of Jesus, that was not for babies. That isn't going to happen for a thousand years. But the process of becoming a follower of Jesus and going through the process of baptism. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to ever know the story about what those early baptisms like, they were weird. There was a lot of nakedness involved in early baptisms. Just saying. They were common to all of these communities too. It was a very different time. And although they understood these things differently, they were held in common. And they got along. Christians would recognize Christians around the world. They did have the sign of the fish was something that they knew was a common Christian sign at that time. And they didn't need to agree on everything to get along until that changed. Avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, and fights about the law because they are useless and worthless. They were warned. Everything was about to change again. Christianity had been made illegal across the empire. But that 10%, they, they kept meeting, even though it was illegal to do so, they kept meeting, often in secret in people's homes, and they kept doing it as they had for centuries before, until, surprise, Constantine decided that Christianity would become the religion of his empire. This was a shock. Nobody really expected to go from being illegal to official. But everything changed. Up to that point, people believed different things about God, about Jesus. And they disagreed, and it was okay. They didn't have to agree. Now, the two largest populations, and I don't know if you can see this, it's kind of a map of the ancient world. The two largest populations of Christians at that time were Antioch up in the north. So that would be up in what is today Syria. And then in the south was the city of Alexandria in Egypt. A man named Arius of Antioch believed that Jesus was the Son of God, but he also believed that there was more. That, that, there was, that God was greater, was greater than could ever be expressed in one human being. Arius wanted to, he, he wanted to safeguard the humanity of Jesus. He, the goal of a Christian life to him was to spiritually grow morally in obedience to Jesus' teachings. So that's Arius. That's kind of was his center. Now, Arius decided to move from Antioch down to Alexandria. And just so happened that while he was making this move, Constantine was in the middle of a battle during a civil war over somebody else who wanted to be emperor at that time. And in that battle, if you, if you know the, uh, Milhaven, the Battle of the Millhaven Bridge, he conquered his adversary, chopped his head off in the name of Jesus, and took it, took the body, threw it in the Tiber River. After that, he decided Christianity would be his official religion. Now back down in Alexandria, while all that's going on, back down in Alexandria, the dominant belief was that Jesus was the Son of God, but it was that it was, he was true God from true God, which that was a little different than Arius. 
And this is my perspective. It was a silly controversy. It was a silly controversy. For centuries, those two differing perspectives had existed and they had coexisted. But now, as the official imperial religion, Constantine, who like most emperors, wanted to be a god himself, declared that there needed to be one official dogma for the one universal imperial church. The empire that had executed Jesus was adopting him. So Constantine did something. He invited all of these differing perspectives of these Christian leaders to come to a place called Nicaea. Now, some of you may know of something called the Nicene Creed. And so they were invited on pain of death, and you also didn't get to eat until you had resolved the issue. There, was, there were a couple. You wanted it to happen fast. And they came up with something. They came up with the Nicene Creed. And from then on, there was going to be one orthodox belief in, in Constantine's Christian nation. Church was changed. And after the Council of Nicaea, the Christian um, Emperor Constantine issued this edict. In addition, if any writing composed by Arius should be found, it should be handed over to the flames, so that not only will the wickedness of his teaching be obliterated, but nothing will be left even to remind anyone of him. And I hereby make a public order that if someone should be discovered to have hidden a writing composed by Arius, and not to have immediately brought it forward and destroyed it by fire, his penalty shall be death. As soon as he's discovered in this offense, he shall be submitted for capital punishment. One of the immediate effects in the ever-changing church, as it was changing, is it grew fast. Fastest growth the church has ever seen happened in the years after this. Lots of new people in the empire converted to Christianity because it was the official religion now. Church buildings, basilicas, were built everywhere. Every town of any size got a church building. Clergy became um, trained in correct dogma at seminaries. But what about the soul? The values of Jesus? They suffered. Empire. Empire didn't care about the core value of nonviolence or mercy, clearly. That was, not a going, that was not a core value anymore. Empire saw justice as whatever the imperial law said, that was justice. Empire saw compassion as nice but weak. For women, they would say. Empire loved, though, loved inclusivity. They'd conquer and include any neighbor or ethnicity. They, would, they were all about inclusivity, but not really in a Jesus way of doing it. Now, Europe and the Americas have remained Christian nations really since the this, all of this happened. But it's all ending. We're heading into a new future. We, we studied this, we call this, we're moving into the post-Constantinian church. 
First time in 1,700 years. And you, you see signs of it everywhere as the ever-changing church is becoming a minority religion again for the first time since then. The Constantinian church got attached itself to the power of empire. It got drunk on it. It got addicted to it. But its time is nearly done. I'm sure you feel this. But be aware. When an animal is wounded, it is very dangerous. It will lash out aggressively, even our wonderful animals. It will act out aggressively and viciously to protect itself. We're church now, in the middle of all this. And what I want to build with you in this church community is something that goes back to the core values of Jesus, that puts those above all the stupid controversies, whose family you happen to belong to, and fights about who has the power to tell who what to do, because they are useless and worthless. And they don't bring hope. And I don't need everyone in the world to do everything exactly the same way that I do it. And I hope you don't feel that way either. But instead, you work from a place of compassion, of inclusivity, of actually caring what somebody else has to say. Looking for true justice, true justice, mercy, and grabbing hold of nonviolence again. What vision of the future do you want to be part of? What do you imagine for the future? And let's get personal. What do you, with what, you, what remains of your life, what do you want to do with your precious life? To what ministry are you called with the days that you've got? Will you pray with me? High King of Heaven, put the same heart that was in Christ Jesus in me. Put the same spirit of compassion in me, in all of us. Help me to put your way first in my heart. And whatever will befall, stay with me. Amen. Please rise now to join our spirits with the hymn, Be Thou My Vision.
Please be seated. So in the quest for justice, how we can make this world a better place, this last week our outreach board got us on board to a new interfaith effort here in Johnson County to solve, and, and I, I'm going to say solve, not to just address the problems that we have, some problems that we have in our county. And those problems are access to mental health resources, homelessness, and affordable housing. Today, we welcome Dylene Ball, who is one of the lead organizers who is working with us. And here's the date that I want you to mark on your calendars or commit to your mind, May 7th next year. We want everybody, everybody, and bring friends to show up at Church of the Resurrection down south, a huge church down south, on that, on that evening. Because we are gathering with the decision makers, our county commissioners, and some of those people to help convince them to make some changes. And I learned something this last week. This last week, we, had, we sent out a scouting party to check out the Good Faith Network. And one of the things that our scouting party saw was that they were advocating for a 24-hour mental health crisis clinic here in Johnson County. I'm going to tell you, as a person who works as a police chaplain, every night, every night needed, every night. We're going to get one next year. The Good Faith Network took what looked unfeasible a few years ago and convinced our leaders to do something in the name of compassion and mercy. Yay! We're going to help them do more of that this coming year. So just please plant a mark on your calendar to be part of, uh, part of that. A long time ago, church was small, but it was well known. They were known as the people who would show up to help out with healing and help solve the pro problems during plagues and famine, make offerings of time and treasure. That's who we are. And after worship today, I haven't, I've been trying to sniff for it, our kids are downstairs making cookies right now. Because if you want, and I have, been, I have it on good authority from Alexandria that these are the best cookies you will have ever tasted. If you want a cookie today, you have to go out to the desk out here, out back, and you've got to check to make sure you are registered to vote. They will help you. If you, if you make sure you're registered to vote, you get a cookie. Because we know that everybody who takes part in our wider world helps make a difference. So thank our kids. Be sure to stop by and get your cookie today. This is who we are. We are God's hands and feet in the world. Will you please rise?